You're listening to Opera Innovations, a podcast brought to you by ABA Technologies. This week on the University Series, we're talking with Dr. Adam Hawes from Arizona State University. And you may have heard of ASU's online program, but they also have an on-campus program. And Dr. Adam Hawes is the director of the MS-ABA program in the Department of Psychology at ASU and is currently the president of the Arizona Association for Behavior Analysis. He earned a PhD from SIU Carbondale, where he focused on language generativity, complex human behavior, and clinical behavior analysis with individuals with autism, traumatic brain injury, and addiction. Dr. Hawes teaches courses in applied behavior analysis and advanced research methods. His research interests include language assessment and development, the peak relational training system, relational frame theory, and acceptance and commitment therapy. Dr. Hawes has dedicated over 10 years to supporting and training others in a variety of settings via behavior analytic methods, and he views behavior analysis as science capable of facilitating widespread societal change. So please welcome Dr. Adam Hawes. So we're here with Adam Hawes today from the Arizona State University's on-campus program. So thank you for joining us. Good to be here. And I'm going to pass it over to you just to give a general overview of the program right now. Sure. So we started in 2015. We took our first cohort in 2015. Um, And as you mentioned, we're an exclusively on-campus program. All of our coursework um, runs through the Department of Psychology. Um, That's kind of our hub. we have, you know, about 345 classroom hours, and we have our practicum embedded into the curriculum such that individuals can currently get their experience with uh, going through the curricular experience. So so what about the faculty for the on-campus sure. program? Sure. So we, I am uh, one of the core faculty, and Dr. Don Stenhoff is yet another Um, Some of the courses are supplemented through faculty associates, all of whom are PhD level BCBADs. Um, And that's, that's kind of our mechanism of operating at present. And um, what are some of like the research that you guys are doing on campus? Sure. So my research emphases and interests are specific to acceptance and commitment training and re- relational frame theory, uh, particularly with uh, kids with developmental disabilities, autism, uh, uh, but also with social emotional uh, kind of dif- uh, disabilities or uh, deficits and um, working within school settings, um, but also within clinical settings to kind of facilitate their use of um, RFT and and ACT-related curricula. And what Um, about your colleagues? Sure. Dr. Don Stenhoff does work um, kind of in the OBM sectors, um, but he also uh, has specific interests in behavior reduction approaches through kind of, uh, I'll call them new wave functional uh, analyses. Um, So novel applications of functional analyses to uh, uh, particularly unique situations. Um, Staff training. He also he also has interest in staff training and kind of uh, harnessing the efficacy of BST models to promote uh, broader, more uh, robust patterns of behavior for uh, staff. So 
And yeah, I really just like to reiterate that, you know, we are talking about the on-campus program. Mm -hmm. And so the experience, the student experience for, with you guys is going to be different than with the online program. So what can mm -hmm. the students expect, you know, when they're applying to the program, because some of the programs we've talked to, you know, they apply to work with a specific faculty member. Some, they just apply mm -hmm. to the program. Um, sure. kind of what does that process look like and what can they expect? I mean, our, our application process is um, kind of commensurate with other schools and that we have, you know, requirements of GRE and GPA and transcripts. We have letters of recommendation requirements as well as a statement of interest. Uh, requirement, what, you know, why behavior analysis and why Arizona State University Department of Psychology. Um, you know, in terms of the of students or applicants being tethered to a particular faculty, um, you know, if, if a student comes in and they have shared interest of ACT and RFT and language generativity, then then it's more probabilistic that I'm going to be the guy. Um, if they have kind of broader OBM. Uh, interests and maybe some staff training, things like that, then Don might be the person. Um, you know, we don't, we don't make those determinations ad hoc. Um, rather, we kind of let, let students bring their interests and then we kind of nurture them to be the best behavior analyst they can be. Um, you know, we do have rolling deadlines in terms of our application process. So it's not um, just this static, um, you know, if you miss it, you're out kind of thing. But we found that some people are still trying to determine what they want to do with the trajectory of their education and life. And we want to kind of be open and willing to uh, letting them uh, figure that out. And hopefully ASU Department of Psychology MSABA program is, is the direction. And that's awesome. So I know with the rolling deadlines, how do interviews work? Is that something that you guys, do you guys have interviews? Because some of our programs have these, you know, intensive weekend long interviews or other ones just, you know, don't have any or it's sometimes it's pretty relaxed. Yeah, I wouldn't say ours is relaxed. Um, I would say <laughs> I, 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 we do have, um, you know, we do have interview processes. Um, it, it doesn't mandate that individuals come on campus, but we at least have both uh, phone and kind of video, maybe via Zoom or Skype interviews with some pretty structured questions. And then there's uh, obviously time for them to kind of uh, express their interests. And then we'll ask questions back to them based on you know, how they might fit in the program here. Um, so I would say we kind of fit middle of the road relative to difficulty or kind of rigor of the interview process, but we're certainly not lax. And what are some of the classes that, you know, might make ASU's program unique where, you know, you said that they're coming on and you're really <coughs> trying to foster their research mm -hmm. interests and kind of directing them on where they, you know, want to be, whether it's more related to you or mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so uh you know our our course uh kind of curriculum is is pretty rigorous um i i think relative to other programs um you know we have we're uh, a verified course sequence through the bacb um and now through abai i suppose um 
and we have you know kind of the stereotypical uh, courses in any and most behavior analytic programs but you know intro to the the principles of applied behavior analysis um, experimental analysis of behavior um, we have an ethics course we have um, we, we I just kind of revised the course to be more about um, advanced verbal behavior and advanced learning. Um, so we kind of take a walk all the way from, you know, back before Skinner working all the way up to relational frame theory um, and then implications of that to therapeutic contexts. So um, in terms of our curriculum, like I said, kind of the, the, the core intro to ABA, EAB. Um, I teach an advanced research methodology class. Um, we have kind of behavioral observation and functional assessment slash analyses, um, development of behavior analytic programming. So the actual, the kind of act of writing it and what constitutes that an OBM class. Um, I mentioned the advanced learning uh, and language class. Um, we have a practicum class as well that's embedded so that we can talk about their experiences that they have throughout the kind of course of the day uh, as they're accruing hours. So they'll bring that content back into the classroom and that gives us kind of a mechanism of discussion. Um, and then they have a culminating applied project in the form of a capstone, a master's capstone. Um, slightly less rigorous than a thesis, but um, certainly has all the uh, hoops that you have to jump through given IRB. And so you mentioned practicum. So where are your students getting their practicum opportunities at? So we have partnership with almost, uh, I would say 25 plus organizations in the Phoenix area, uh, greater Phoenix area. Predominantly those are couched in autism, but they needn't only be uh, in those those kind of domains. Um, we do have a couple settings um, and sites that have uh, emphases in, um, you know, kind of like twice exceptional work, um, uh, some more clinically relevant work. Um, so not just with autism, uh, but, but uh, clinically relevant populations as well as like, um, OBM specific placements, um, but again, most of which uh, that most of that experience is through the lens of of kind of an autism perspective, and yet lots of different tangents and tributaries that a that a kid uh, that a student can take uh, should they want. So, yeah, and I know that even within a lot of like the clinical settings, there's still options to do a ton of OBM work and sure. other types of to get other types of experiences within those as well. Right. So, like you mentioned before, staff training, you have processes, you have, I mean, all of these different processes and stuff that go into an, mm -hmm. an actual clinic. Um, I right. didn't really learn those until I was in it, like the coordinator of a clinic. So sure. um, getting some of those beforehand could be really beneficial. Yeah, and if you think, I mean, if you think or want to talk about settings specifically, we, we do have, you know, the, the traditional clinics, ABA clinics, but they also have opportunities to do in-home and uh, school-based work. Um, and occasionally, um, we're, we're, occasionally they can uh, work in hospital settings. So 
it's just um, kind of dependent on what what level of support we have from the community and and how they're bought into it yeah and so how does that work with supervision are you guys mostly the ones involved with the supervision or because you have these partnerships are there you know like the bcbas or bcbads there that are responsible for their supervision yeah so kind of a long and winding road to answer that is is our state licensure requirement is that of 1500 hours and so the only option given the BACB's kind of levels of, of experience is that 1500 hour mark, mm -hmm. which is the supervised independent field work, right? And so um, as a function of that, we've, we've forged these partnerships with community uh, service providers who then provide the supervision by, you know, the, the supervision's provided by a BCBA who's also licensed in the state of Arizona. That's awesome. Um, and I know that, you know, getting, I know my supervisor here at ABA Tech actually got her experience in a hospital. So I know that that's mm -hmm. becoming more and more prevalent it is, yeah. out there. And um, I've talked to a lot of California universities uh -huh. and they're, they've always been more progressive than us over here yeah. on the East Coast, especially with schools. So how is Arizona kind of fit into that school realm as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it's progressing. My my biggest concern, I think, with within schools is is really kind of the ethics of a caseload, um, and I I often worry slash hesitate um, to just say this experience is going to be equal to this clinical experience, given kind of the capacity that one is expected to hold as a BCBA who's also licensed in a school. Um, so we have. Uh, fairly tightly controlled opportunities within school settings. Um, and we do put uh, parameters programmatically around what that experience can and should look like. Uh, you know, our, the students, although some of the sites like them to be employees and work full 40 hours, we, we proactively kind of circumvent that and say they're not meant to be used as full-time employees. It's a learning experience. Um, and they, you know, these experiences are such that they can become really good behavior analysts as opposed to, you know, you know, uh, filling a staffing need that you might have. That's simply not the intent of the experience. Um, so within the schools, I think the beauty of that, that you wouldn't maybe get in a, in a, in an ABA specific clinic is the kind of work amongst a multidisciplinary team mm -hmm. and kind of different perspectives that that those opportunities and experiences bring. Um, there's no substitute for kind of being a sponge in those settings so that you can better equip yourself to be, um, you know, uh, to be well-versed um, and competent and be able to engage in effective discourse when something's uh, incongruent with evidence, you know, evidence-based practices. Yeah, and I know I got a lot of that when I was working in schools throughout Metro Detroit, and it's uh -huh. one of the best experiences that I think I've ever gotten because I know that, you know, we're all kind of sometimes we're gung-ho when we first get out of our yeah. programs, and it's a very humbling experience to really figure out how to build that rapport with those other professionals that don't have the same views as you. That's right. And how to do that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we talk, I mean... I talk about it in our program a lot about um, a silo effect, how within behavior analysis, we have this propensity to 
talk amongst ourselves, but we don't do such a great job of sharing outward uh, with other disciplines, even though they may have um, good things to contribute to the conversation and trajectory of the, of the clients with whom we work. So, um, you know, we'd be foolish not to at least listen and then make sense of what, what that information is that's coming in. Exactly. So we talk about the practicum and how you try to make sure that the students are not too overwhelmed. And then because you didn't talk about the intensity of the program. So yeah. what is that student student experience and why is it, what, what can they expect? You know, what is the intensity of the program that you spoke about? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I think, like some of the best programs, we tried to emulate those things. I mean, Western's one, I think SIU Carbondale, the on-campus program, that's unbiased because that's where I came from. Uh, oh, you know, the U- <laughs> yeah, the, the UNRs and all, you know, the, the, top, the top, uh, performing, uh, programs, uh, they, there's a standard that they set and they don't waver. And so, um, coming from programs like that, I, I, tell them up front that it's there's a lot of reading um i make a statement that that if you're not reading every night then you're probably behind um you know and uh a lot of writing um and and kind of uh, multimodal experiences with the content so it's not enough to just be able to receptively say that you know something but almost thinking in terms of bloom's taxonomy um, as to how people, uh, kind of that model of how people learn and, and the depth and breadth with which they learn information. I'm trying to push them to the upper echelons of that, of that kind of conceptualization such that there won't be experiences once they finish the program that they've not experienced. Um, and so, you know, we're about, uh, creating good behavior analysts, not autism experts. Um, um, and so to, to be that, you've got to be particularly flexible and fluent with the material. And so there's a lot of kind of immersive opportunities within the classroom and, and uh, positions within the classroom, um, a lot of dyadic training um, versus my just going in front of a class and talking. Uh, they're actually uh, pairing up and and. Uh, using kind of some of the concepts and principles within inner teaching uh, to promote acquisition of those skills. And that then, that then breeds this uh, larger, more, more robust repertoire. Yeah. And that's, that's really nice to hear because I know that I got a lot of that while I was in grad school. And I, I think that that's what has pushed me to be as, Mm -hmm. you know, well-versed and stuff as I have, because I got into this job and not this job, but my first job outside of grad school. Uh And I realized that there was certain things I didn't know, but from my learning history with, you know, being at that program, I dove in and tried to make sure I knew absolutely everything about the stuff that I was going to have to be doing in that job, in that position and at that company. So I think that that also builds on these other skills not just, you know, behavior analytic knowledge, yeah. but also it builds on these other professional skills that the students are definitely sure. going to need. And I, th- I think that's one of the areas that, um, you know, as we've kind of gone through the, the 
several years that we've been in existence, we've we started to place maybe some greater emphases, not taking away from the core behavior analytic kind of com- competencies, but greater emphases beyond the scope of the, the task list relative to uh, soft skills and communication skills. Um, because I, I've often found that, you know, there are scenarios that behavior analysts can get in and they don't, you know, know how to or haven't acquired the skills, how to deconstruct some of the technicalities uh, of our science and make it palatable and accessible for those who don't speak our foreign language, you know? Oh, I know. (laughs) That was, um, so the master's students don't necessarily have comps at Western, um, but our lab did have comps. It was honestly more stressful than the BACB exam. We, uh, I mean, my, my background originally was in brain injury. So all of my graduate training was in, in brain injury and then addiction. Um, and so only until I think my last year of my doctoral training did I then kind of start to see the parallels in terms of language deficits, um, uh, that cut across the, um, kind of disabilities and disorders that I wanted to shift into autism and look more kind of granularly at, at why uh, these deficits exist and how to kind of shore them up. So. Yeah. And so, yeah. And just getting that preparation as a student is phenomenal. If the website is still accurate, it says you are the president for the Arizona Association of Behavior Analysis. So it is uh, almost accurate. Um, I'm the past president this year. And so my my tenure uh, in presidency finishes December 31st. Okay. Um, But yeah, that's been a a really neat experience because I get to keep a finger to the pulse of the community and its needs. Um, And also bring in some different ways of thinking about uh, how to promote the science within the state um, because I'm you know, I've only been in the state for uh, four or five years now. Um, most of my efforts were in Illinois and Missouri. So. Mm-hmm. And does that play into, I mean, I know that that's your role, but, you know, with having, you know, the associate, the AZABA being so close and mm-hmm. how does that play into some of maybe the different student experiences that they, that they get? Yeah, so we... Um, we are pretty closely tied to Asiaba as a program. Um, within our uh, state organization, we have what are called sponsorships. And as an or as a program, the MSABA program sponsors the AZA, uh, uh, Asiaba, right? <clears throat> and in doing so, all of its members, um, because my students aren't at the master's level, they get free membership. And so they have kind of free reign to be as involved or not as involved as they want to be in any of the special interest groups or committees and uh, go to any of our uh, yearly events. Um, And so it really is just another mechanism and an access point for them to uh, get out of, uh, out of this experience as much as they want, but it's, it's incumbent upon them to do that. Yeah. And, I don't know if Asiaba does a conference at all, but 
what do. Are you do. And so I'm assuming, hoping, hoping a lot of the students take advantage of that conference and maybe presenting and posters and maybe <clears throat> even potentially other conferences throughout the year. Yeah. So one of the things that we've been kicking around in terms of a strategic plan is to kind of increase uh, student engagement. And posters is one of those mechanisms to do that. Um, a number of students do attend the uh, attend the um, year-end conference, but we also have um, sprinkled throughout the course of the year um, CE, CE events. And so those give us and the students opportunities, even though they don't accrue CEs, uh, the opportunity to kind of uh, rub shoulders with some of the titans in our field. Um, so that's that's really neat. Um, and then their involvement on special interest groups or committees, they can uh, take active roles in those and, uh, again, be as involved or, or not as they so choose. I mean, what are some of the special interest, interest groups that you guys have? Um, I, know, I know some of the, you know, the things that ABAI has, but what are some of the special interest groups that AZIABA has and, you know, maybe where some of the students kind of getting involved with the community? Sure. So we have uh, one that I actually head up, which is um, the ACT and RFT special interest group. Um, obviously, the, the name kind of tells you the, the interests of it, but basically we're looking at um, what are the ways that we can make relational frame theory and acceptance and commitment therapy or training accessible, and how do we then uh, deliver that to uh, practitioners in a way that they can then incorporate it into their daily practices. Um, there's also a, a component kind of wrapped in there about um, contacting the literature. And so uh, it's, it's uh, somewhat rare that <clears throat> that individuals in behavior analytic programs contact some of that uh, more progressive behavior analytic literature like relational frame theory or act or even, you know, stimulus equivalence is starting to pick up because it's in the new Cooper, Heron, and Heward book, but um, less so about RFT and act or, or kind of third wave uh, therapies. And so we want to just create an outlet and a resource to the community for those who are interested in that. Um, we have another special interest group that is dedicated to expanding the scope of practice. Um, so kind of as you've touched on, looking at populations and uh, opportunities outside that of autism. Um, the, you know, the stats are proportionally overwhelming that individuals with the BACB practice about, in, about two thirds of us practice in autism uh, and everything else is far less than that. So that's what that, that special interest group is about. We have a feeding special interest group um, that is kind of forged by Dr. Missy Olive. Um, she, she spearheads the, the support for individuals in that group so as to become competent in feeding related issues. Um, we have a coordination of care special interest group. And that's kind of thinking about, um, about the collaborative nature, right? We talked about multidisciplinary teams. And so how is it that ABA can start to, uh, and, and maybe, uh, be more welcome at those tables that are, that are filled up with other disciplines. Um, and then our final special, special interest group is ABA in the school settings. 
And that is what it sounds like, right? How do we kind of manipulate and modify uh, what we know as evidence-based practices to be accessible and, and uh, reliable and valid uh, within the context of schools. So uh, those are the four or five uh, SIGs that we have, and and uh, you know that we're not we're not uh, necessarily uh, tethered to those. We don't have to have those in existence forever. But as different things come up, the the organization as a whole can and will evolve so mm -hmm. and that's exciting just to have it be so connected to the program that students can get involved with all of those oh, yeah. and really see what's going on um, yeah it's kind of cool it's kind of cool I, I can only speak to my special interest group that i head up but i have you know probably 10 to 15 either current or former students who are involved in this in this special interest group just because of you know they they potentially see the trajectory of behavior analysis and and knowing where we can take this so it's it's kind of cool to see it come full circle yeah and i know that i loved getting involved in that kind of stuff when i was in grad school mm -hmm. um it's always been my thing i guess to kind of dip yeah. my hands in as many pots as possible and that's why I took the job that I have now because I get to dip yeah. my hands in as many pots as possible. Um, uh, what is it? A mile long and an inch deep. It's basically where I'm yeah. at. <laughs> where I'm at right now. <laughs> um, but what about the the surrounding area? What about the campus? What's oh man? What's life like <laughs> there? Yeah, I mean, besides besides uh, dry and dusty, from what I can assume. Yeah, I mean, like in full transparency, you you've got um, you've got about eight months that are just unbelievable weather, um, and it it's maybe rivaled only by um, places like San Diego or LA, uh, in my opinion. And I can say that uh, because I lived in Missouri uh, most of my life. And uh, so we don't really have the winners that you would see in, in like a Western. Uh, um, so, so that's really nice during the school year and then summer's pretty tough. Um, you know, Tempe is booming um, and that's where the campus is. A lot of people think it's in Phoenix and yet it's in, in Tempe. Um, and so, you know, students live either on campus or, um, in, in some of the burbs of uh, or around uh, Phoenix, either in Phoenix proper or uh, places like Scottsdale. Um, some live further out in places like Chandler and Gilbert. Um, campus, you know, ASU is one of the biggest schools in the nation. And so you can be on one side of the campus and not know anything about uh, something else that's going on on the other side. Or if you're you know, interested in doing so, you can know about all the things going on campus. I mean, the the life of the of the ASU student is um, is only bound by the way in which you kind of interact in that space. And so, um, you know, there's over seventy thousand students that that go here. Um, you know, football, basketball, baseball, all are you know big time sports. Good good college sports teams, um, excellent weather, lots of outdoor activities. Um, and then, you know, our department of psychology in which the MSABA program exists is, is 
commensurate and always rival to some of the some of the most prestigious departments of psychology across the nation. You know, the Stanford's and the and the Browns, um, because most of our faculty come from those spaces. Um, so you know, you can expect you know uh, collegiality. Uh, I think that there's kind of this um, bond that our students have because of the rigors of the program. Um, one of the cool things in our department is that we have a specific uh, study and workspace carved out within the building. Uh, students can go in and it's, uh, we call it the MSABA space. We didn't come up with a crafty name, um, but it needn't have that to have a good, fun you know, a good function tied to it. But it's a space where a lot of sharing happens, both in terms of you know, resources, uh, understanding of material, contact with material, research ideas. Uh, there's, there are computers and offices in that space, uh, whiteboards um, and lounge chairs so that students can still be uh, integrated as, as an ASU student, but also uh, be comfortable in doing so. And so we're, we're really proud of that space and kind of uh, the opportunity it affords students to, you know, get to know their peers, but also form a bond that uh, lasts forever, as you probably know. And I know that throughout, yeah, definitely throughout my master's program, but the networking, you know, just from my master's program, I can just assume that the type of networking that ASU has is even larger, just because like you said, yeah. ASU is such a huge campus and a huge everything about it is just is yeah. very large so the type of networking i think that you know the asu students could have could even be it could be exponential compared yeah. to some other campuses i think the the piece that um and and i wasn't privy to this coming to phoenix but how big phoenix is it's like the fifth or sixth largest city in the nation but you don't really realize it because of the temperature we don't have you know skyscrapers and so phoenix spreads this way as opposed to moving up that way um but with that comes you know all the major league uh, sports and lots of just really cool activities that you wouldn't otherwise have in in some of the smaller places and so that's uh and the cost of living is relatively uh it's far less than than some of the the other major cities um so that's you know, that's, that's another piece to, you know, coming to Tempe, coming to the Department of Psychology and our program is that we really celebrate all that Phoenix has to offer. And, and uh, while the city is large, the behavior analytic community is pretty tight. And so the word, as you probably know, word travels fast within behavior analysis. And uh, that's a good thing for our students because, um, you know, other companies who may not have had time with our students through our practicum rotation process can get pretty good information from their, their colleagues. Um, and so maybe that's something else I should allude to is just the, the fact that students aren't static to one location. They, they actually uh, rotate through two different practicum sites, one for a seven month tenure and then another for roughly a 12 month tenure. So as to get different experiences, different supervisory experiences, um, kind of building out this repertoire that they may not have gotten if they stayed in one location. And we mandate that, that's not a choice, so.
No, and I think that's good that you mandate that because um, I know that even like in mine, in my experience, I had to ask for a different experience. I was like, no, yeah. I want to do something. I want to do this. Like whether or not it's a practicum site or something else. I was like, no, I want to do this. It's like, I know this is where you need me right now, Yeah. but I want to get this experience. And I mean, I was yeah. lucky enough that my advisor was great and she's like, yeah, okay, let's get you that experience. And you know, this and that, but, um, not everybody gets that. Um, not everybody right. gets, not, not everybody gets these opportunities to have OBM sites, to have clinical sites, to have in-home sites, to mm -hmm. have in-school sites. So having that option is yeah. really good. And so where are some of your students going after they're done? Are they, I know probably some are going into work right away. Yeah. And so we have, I, I, yeah, I can just kind of speak to, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead and finish nope, your question. That was it. So, okay. So your question was, where are my students going? Mm -hmm. um, so we are just, I think this is our year that we start to get back uh, pass rates, but I internally keep track of that. Our BACB exam pass rate is 92%, um, which is pretty good in terms of, you know, considering where uh, other programs fall. We're up in the upper echelons of the uh, pass rates. Uh, so we're proud of that. But uh, maybe even more importantly is um, is 100% placement rate. Um, all of our students either get jobs or go on to, a, you know, more graduate training, PhD, PsyD uh, programs. And so um, a, a number of uh, students, uh, graduates of the program stay locally uh, because they've had those practicum rotations mm -hmm. with our practicum site partners. And there's a, a large need in Phoenix for behavior an analysts. And um, so they're very easily filling those voids. Um, and it, so that we've got this kind of symbiotic relationship with our partners in that we're generating, you know, a number of well-trained uh, behavior analysts who can then come in and, and be ready to perform, not need another year of uh, training before they're actually ready. Um, you know, and then we have a, a, a decent proportion of our students who do go out of state. Um, and they go and they, you know, practice as behavior analysts in various capacities. Um, and they do tend to align or map on with the BACB uh, distribution of, of where uh, behavior analysts are practicing. Um, uh, probably two or three students a year go on to PhD programs. Um, and, you know, those are places, you know, I just had a student who went to uh, my alma mater at SAU Carbondale to study under Dr. Mark Dixon. And uh, I have a student who went to Baylor for, um, for uh, uh, school psychology and is now at uh, the U of A uh, down in Tucson. Um, I have a number of students who are in clinical programs um, kind of around the nation. And then I had one student <coughs> go over to England, University of Manchester, uh, which is kind of cool. And they have what, what we would call general psychology PhD program where you then uh, place greater emphases in your area of interest. Um, so that those are two of the things that I think are big takeaways from our program is kind of our success rate in terms of passing the exam. At the, you know, that's not everything, but it's a pretty good indicator of success. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and then our placement rate in terms of, uh, you know, our students getting jobs. And I think mm -hmm. that's the thing that uh, maybe next to passing that, that they care about. Um, yeah. Maybe most importantly for me is that they're good behavior analysts. Um, you know, I, the pass rate is one thing and placement rate is yet another, but are they, are they able to be flexible and uh, think on their toes if and when all the, all the book content doesn't uh, work out? How do they think behavior analytically to, as a scientist practitioner, right? Yes. And I know something that's helped me do that is continuously supervising. Um, yeah. So even so I was supervising and teaching when I was in Metro Detroit, but now that I'm down here, I actually have the opportunity to supervise OBM students from that's Florida cool. Tech. And so that's something that's kept me on my toes is nice. because they're always asking questions. And I'm like, oh, I have to like I have to know the answers to these questions or being okay yeah. with saying I'll find it for you. I know that that's a that's a big thing that a big skill to be able to say that. Um, but that's something that's also kept me on my toes. But it's really cool to hear the different areas that your students are going in mm -hmm. and being able to bridge some of these gaps into maybe some of these other, you know, like the more clinical programs or, you know, just these other areas as sure. well as school psychology. Um, because mm -hmm. I know that, like I've said before, that's my goal is dissemination. And that's how we're going to start doing them is having right. our, our, like you said, our well-trained behavior analysts going into these other fields to learn their languages and their concepts and their principles, and then start hooking them together to bridging right. all of these gaps. Um, there is one thing just because you talked about it that I want to make sure that I bring up because you guys are a newer program. Um, your pass rates probably are not online yet. They're which not. means this is just something I like to make a clarification about because not all schools are like this. Um, we heard on the Western pod on the Western Michigan podcast that their online or their hybrid and their on campus percentages are combined. So I'm going to assume you, you guys will not be combined because as we had mentioned before uh, we started talking that the online program and the on-campus program are two completely different things. That's so right. I just want to make sure that I clarify that, that when people are going online to the pass rates right now, that yours probably will not be on there yet. The on-campus right. ones might not be on there yet. So That's I correct. I, I think it'll be um, maybe next year. I think it's a, it's either a three or five year, 10 year before they're, uh, posted on uh, on the website, um, but like I said, internally I keep track of that, and we're at ninety two percent, which is which is I think pretty good. Um, yeah, we 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 simply don't have any overlap other than kind of uh, uh, other than that we're both behavior analysis programs, um, and and that's uh, you know we have different interests, uh, mm -hmm. different types of students, yeah. um, and different uh, media of delivery. So. Um, yeah, so if, if a student were or an applicant, someone who's interested were to go online, they would probably only see the online mm -hmm. program results right now. And then, um, I will say I found both. They're just, you have to, you just have to look carefully when you're searching for it. Right. Cause one will right. say ASU online 
like in the department it's housed in and the other one i think it's labeled as the msaba like one so is they're just kind of late i just googled asu behavior analysis and yeah. so that is um so it's just something that you know i'm it's one more reason why i want to do this podcast because yeah you know each program is different and each program is set up different and they're set up for a specific reason and just like our field, we individualize everything, just like our programs. So there are different exactly. there are different reasons why you know the ASU has it on campus that is separate from the online. And so I just want to sure. make sure that you know I'm showing those differences as well. Yes, so, um, I appreciate that. Yes, of course. Um, so what have we not talked about that you want to make sure that we cover? Oh boy. Um, you know, I, I think, I think that, you know, both Don and I, while we may not be, um, you know, amongst the kind of giants of the field, uh, we, we do have lineage that roots back to, uh, you know, some of those giants. Um, and so, you know, we want to bring that rigor, uh, and we have a responsibility to do that, to bring rigor to a program that, that doesn't let um, students who either aren't invested or uh, don't have the behavior analytic chops to practice, practice. Um, and so um, that's not to say that we go in looking to fail students, uh, but we do want to set our bar high and not uh, waver uh, around that. You know, the other, the other piece is like uh, we sit amongst um, a department of psychology that I kind of already touched on, but we are uh, considered peers in our in our department, and we get to we do get to rub shoulders with some of the best thinkers in in the in the field of psychology, um, and so there's a lot of really neat opportunities given uh, kind of where we exist within ASU, but just ASU broadly in terms of you know innovation being a, a core value that we have here. Uh, that's perpetuated by our, our, our president. Um, let's see what else, you know, I think that students walk away from the program saying, wow, that was really difficult and I'm a better person and, uh, a clinician as a product of it. Um, and that's, that's ultimately while they may not be able to see it semester one, what we hope for once they, you know, get that degree and their diploma. Um, I, I don't want to leave any doubt that they're ready. And so we've developed a program here that uh, minimizes that probability. And I know that I had that. <laughs> and when you said they might not see it semester one, I was like, well, they probably won't see it semester two or semester three. <laughs> Maybe semester <or> three. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, but I know that it's something that I have in, especially when I'm talking to other programs and things like that, just to seeing, you know, all of these new programs that are popping up that are really trying to get that exact same feeling and experiences when they're pushing out these students. Um, yeah. I think one thing that, um, that might be a good question to ask is I know that you said you have rolling um, admittance throughout the program. Mm -hmm. but what are about the numbers of students that you guys are taking? usually yeah so we uh you know 
the number of applicants we get varies. Um, we probably get, um, you know, between 150 and 200 applicants. Um, we have somewhat of a, a, a flexible capacity that will take um, up to about 35 in person. Um, this year we have 28. So, so we're, we don't have a mandate necessarily to take 35, nor do I think that's a good approach. Um, but, um, you know, we, we took 25 this year, first year students. Um, I, I, I suppose I should also mention that we, we take students only in the fall. We don't, yep. we don't have a, a spring admittance. Um, so even though they and, can apply anytime. Sure. Is that what, it, is that what? Yeah. I mean, they, the, our application window opens. Uh, so for example, if you wanted to apply for a 2020 fall mm -hmm. start, you could, you can start applying October 1 of 2019. Awesome. And uh, we wouldn't necessarily close that window until uh, just before the start of the semester in 2020. Perfect. Okay. Um, yeah. That's a good clarification to make just because I know that some of them will close it in like December for that's right. a fall 2020. They'll close in like December of 2019 for a fall right. date. So that's a good. Yeah. Guess. And we do, th we do that as a function of, you know, some students who are really uh, appropriate and qualified for the program may still be figuring out what they want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they, they apply for a, a PhD clinical or behavior analytic program and they don't get in. And so they're exploring other avenues, uh, but they wouldn't know that they wouldn't know whether or not they got in until a bit later in the spring. So we, we like to keep it open for individuals like that who um, may still want that behavior analytic training, but they need to potentially get a master's first and, um, and then springboard from there. And so where do you see the program going? So we talked about the first four or five years. And so where do yep. you see it going in the future? Or where I would think, you like uh, to see it go? <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of that stuff I'm going to keep under my hat. Um, oh, yeah. Of <laughs> uh, course. But um, I think that ultimately I want to continue to, you know, as with any uh, location, there, there, there becomes a saturation of, of, of uh, professionals. And uh, one of my hopes is to have some of my graduating students go to places that we've not gone to yet, mm -hmm. right? So that they're not um, all local. Yep. Um, and not to say everyone is, but, you know, we've had a few students who go to, you know, places like North Carolina or New York, and I want to see more of that so that the word of the program and its rigor and how good of a product it creates uh, can be heard in other spaces. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think forging uh, even better relationships with our practicum partners so that, so that they um, have, you know, a good sense of what types of students we want and what we hope their experience to be like in those practicum uh, settings. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of stuff we've already talked about, yep. us not being limited to autism specific uh, domains in which individuals practice, getting into, you know, the other sciences, collaborating with other sciences. I, I think that there's eventually going to be a bigger push within behavior analysis, given OBM contexts, mm -hmm. um, work with staff on performance, you know, management and yep. uh, uh, kind of 
catalyzing performance, uh, but also, you know, medicinal medical kind of capacities. Um, and then, you know, the very heart of what behavior analysis is, is tackling some of those societally significant, uh, challenges that are beyond again, autism. So Mm -hmm. things like hunger and racism and uh, sexism and, and homophobia and, and xenophobia and sustainability and yep. uh, protecting our environment. So um, we we have, uh, I think, the training and the competencies to be able to address some of those questions at scale. Um, we we need to uh, start creating the seats at the table so that we can uh, be a voice um, that's rooted in data, that's rooted in good science to influence the the trajectory of those lines of thinking and how we can uh, just do better. Yes. <laughs> and I completely agree with you. And that is, um, that is one reason why th- this has always been my interest. Um, one of my bosses sat me down one time and was like, Every, everybody has like a focus like what is your main interest and I was like oh oh I don't know yeah <laughs> I've never had just like one you know like people are known for this or people are known for this and I'm like honestly thinking about it dissemination um because I like yeah. I said I like dipping my fingers in all of these different pots and doing this was just one way to do that um you know this is universities and different programs and really trying to show people the listeners, who's doing what and where are they doing it? And you don't need to be stuck, you know, maybe where you think you need, like there might be something else out there that you didn't know about. And if I had a hand in that, that is, that's my goal. So. Yeah. I think, I I think the, the, the beauty of what you're trying to get at is that most people contact uh, their information based on what they read or what they're told. Um, and, and most often told by the by the people of authority, mm-hmm. um, and so this is a different mechanism or media through which uh, individuals interested in behavior analysis at large can really explore their options mm-hmm. without it being confined to rules that people are given by their mentors or um, by what's on the internet or what's not on the internet, right? Yep. Um, so it's a nice it's a nice mechanism for dissemination and delivery of uh, maybe a, an unbiased uh, uh, mapping out of what's available. Yes, and thank you. And I know people have yeah, you're welcome. people have come to me and been like, "This is something we had talked about before too." People don't realize that ABA Technologies is completely separate from Florida Tech, mm-hmm. and so this has been you know a even like a rebranding thing for ABA technologies because um, you know, we are a professional development company and well, one, that's one aspect of our company, mm-hmm. one branch of it. And that's the branch that I work for. And you know, we are this separate entity. We, we really don't have a bias to, you know, Florida tech. Um, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. they hired me and I'm from Western. I'm mm-hmm. like, I think I said, I'm the only one that would, that, not from Florida Tech, but, um, but no, I want this to be a completely, you know, this is a straight, I want to learn and teach other people about what programs are out there. Um, because I think, I think I've said this before that, um, in some other, some of the other interviews that 
I was at Western for my undergrad. So it was very easy to just stay at Western for my, sure. for my graduate program. Um, and so I'll be fully honest. I didn't look into other programs when, yeah. ma when maybe I should have, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah, saying yeah. that, you know, but you know, hindsight's 2020. Like I threw all my eggs in one basket and called it good instead yep. of, you know, trying to reach out and see what's out there. And so that's my goal is to get as many programs as possible online or on campus or anything so that people can find what program is right for them. Cause the more dissemination we're doing, the more we're going to start getting into these other fields as well. So. Yeah. So what other questions, um, if anything, do you have for me? And then I think that's it for me, unless you can think of anything else that you want to bring up. No, I mean, I, I think we've touched on, you know, core faculty, all PhDs, um, you know, some pretty cool research going on, um, you know, in, in a number of different domains uh, and settings. I can't think of anything else. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Operant Innovations. And as always, if you have comments, feedback, or suggestions, please feel free to reach out to us at operantinnovations at abatechnologies.com.